Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Tech Talk. Here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JMNTheAM.org. Proud to be sponsored by Adorama Camera. Adorama, you're more than a camera superstore. You don't have to go down to 18th Street, although you could, and you will be pleased. But you can order online, Adorama.com. Check it out. There's lots there. And we hope uh, to continue that really wonderful sponsorship from Adorama. As we talk technology and some good feedback from the first show, that was last week, and uh, whenever you run a pilot, whenever you run something new, you're always nervous, you always want to do the right thing, I guess, say the right thing, if you will, in this case, it's radio, so it's all about what you say, nobody can see actually what I'm doing right now. We got ZK here in the control room, trying to control the air conditioning, and uh, it's a wonderful thing about mid-October or I guess early October, we still have air conditioning going, running strong here on the Lower East Side. If you can hear that background noise, hopefully you can't. But we're going to hear another hour of Tech Talk. And uh, Tech Talk's kind of simple. I've been ruminating about the name. It's kind of expansive. But what we're going to try and do here is highlight a wide array of technology ideas, technology companies, technology ecosystem, the economy, and hopefully related as much as possible to Israel. So we've got uh, th- things that are relevant specifically to our audience here on the Nachum Siegel Network. We know we know who our audience are. It's a little bit uh, you know, a segmented market, so just to throw a good uh, business term at you. But uh, we want to make things that are relevant. So this week we're going to highlight some interesting, some in- an interesting company, interesting. Uh, technology at the forefront of the educational technology world, specifically with regard to uh, Jewish uh, education. And uh, we're going to have, uh, as our first guest, Rabbi Arye Lightstone, formerly of uh, New York NCSY and the Orthodox Union, now a budding technology entrepreneur. And uh, in the second uh, half of the show, we're going to have Jeff Shapiro and Noam Eisenberg of Everest Search Partners, who uh, former, now, U.S. expats live in the dream in Israel, who have uh, started an international search firm, where or recruiting firm, I guess, is more executive search firm, where they recruit for all kinds of companies, either doing business in Israel or Israeli companies that want to do business abroad. And they have a very good finger on the pulse of uh, the, the buy two sides of the Atlantic, uh, global trade, if you will, between Israeli technology companies and the U.S. market and the European market, which is really, uh, for me, a fascinating, an entirely fascinating phenomenon. Just to go back to it again from what uh, as we spoke last week, it's just truly amazing that uh, it's something to be incredibly proud of from where we sit, that uh, the Israeli economy and the knowledge economy is as robust as it is, as exciting as it is, and it's uh, and it's certainly uh, something to be proud of. Uh, just this week, we had another investment, or I guess a purchase in this case, from uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, kind of the gold standard 
of investing for many. They purchased an Israeli company uh, called RayQ, and that is uh, having previously made a significant investment, then eventually purchasing the whole, the whole thing of a company called Iskar, I-S-C-A-R, uh, which is located in the upper Galil, and they purchased that company uh, quite a few years ago. Uh, but that was at the time considered a big breakthrough for the Israeli economy. Uh, and that wasn't really a technology company in the computer sense, as we think about it. It was a technology company really at the forefront of manufacturing and a niche manufacturer of, of cutting tools and different types of industrial tools. The kind of thing that we don't think about every day as consumers, we don't always think of, but these are major parts of the economy. And in a certain way, that's that has been uh, at least the hallmark of the early success of Israeli technology. A lot of the plumbing of the, net, the Internet, about the cybersecurity, the uh, optical networking, a lot of these companies based in Israel that have done, that have contributed so much to the, to the uh, explosion of technology, but really on the, on the uh, industrial side, I guess, if you will, the, the B2B side. Now, with uh, companies like Waze and uh, you have a lot of consumer-facing products in, is from Israel. A lot of uh, consumer-facing companies, and Israel is becoming a hotbed over there. But uh, we will, of course, explore all these avenues over the next over the coming shows, over the coming weeks, and hopefully you'll join us for a robust discussion. So I want to welcome our first guest uh, to the show. Uh, Arya Lightstone is with us, and he's the founder of a company called Aleph Beta, uh, which is at the forefront of or the soon-to-be forefront of Jewish education. So, uh, Arye, welcome to uh, Tech Talk. Hey, good morning, Michael. How are you? Good morning. So, tell us a little bit about your transition from Jewish educator to Jewish educational technology entrepreneur. Uh, thanks, Michael. Um, so, really, the, the, the path has been interesting, uh, going from a, a much more standard, both in the classroom uh, teacher, uh, as well as having... Uh, played a role at NCSY for, uh, for many years here in New York, uh, I saw I sort of two, two things come together. One was my role as a formal instructor, and the second was as an informal instructor, is that it always seemed to a degree that Judaic studies were playing a level of catch-up, uh, both in terms of being cutting edge, not in terms of the content, but in terms of the way it was delivered. And the second part was in terms of the accessibility uh, for students, whether they missed a class because they were at Model UN or they were away on a service learning trip, the, the more our schools, both public and private, uh, become inundated with so many great opportunities for kids, the opportunities that need to exist for the more advanced students as well as the students who are falling behind to be able to supplement or catch up uh, became uh, quite apparent. And uh, I was gripped pretty much like everybody else, I imagine, by uh, Coursera, sort of these MOOCs, these massive online courses. Uh, and then Khan Academy was the one that spoke uh, more specifically to me. And uh, I got together with some uh, wonderful educators and created uh, this program called the Alice Beta Academy. And <clears throat> that took a, took a turn a little bit in terms of popularity, more towards the adult education component than about two and a half months ago, I made a pivot uh, 
and founded, uh, along with two partners in Philadelphia, a company called Mikorot. Uh, and we're actually based in Philly, New York, and uh, Gosh Etzion, uh, where we've now made the pivot back strictly to uh, high school and middle school education. So give us a... Tell us about the companies. Uh, Aleph Beta, what does it do? What does Makaro do? What, what's the technology behind it? And uh, what? Uh... So the, the, the first question that we had to ask ourselves was, are we a technology company uh, in its traditional design in terms of both software and uh, the hardware component that would go with it? Or were we a content-driven company that would leverage uh, existing technology that was out there? And, uh, well, explain to the audience the distinction. Let's not be too business. Uh, let's not just assume the, the difference that everybody – give us what, – what do you sure. look at yourself as a tech – what's the difference between somebody who looks at themselves as a technology company versus a content company? Sure. It, it's far more exciting to say that you're a technology company. So those are the words that we normally use to describe uh, what it was that we were doing or what it is that we are doing. Uh, and then you start to look around and what, what a technology company, at least in my definition, is – is somebody who's active and involved in uh, the fundamental change or building of the, the soup uh, and nuts, if you will, of the programs that, 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 that you're going to be running. So just, just as an example, for Khan Academy, so Khan Academy, uh, for those people who aren't familiar, so Salman Khan, you should check it out at KhanAcademy.org. It's a phenomenal program for many different things. I, I happen to like it the most for math and for science. Kind of uh, the, the forerunner to putting established courses on online and make them accessible to even people who aren't enrolled in a specific uh, matriculating program, correct? Right. And, and the four perhaps most fundamental ideas that came out from his uh, development was, number one, is there's not a video that goes for more than eight minutes. Uh, so he captures in your mind, if you will, the attention span uh, that probably all of us have, but certainly as, as middle school and high school students have. Secondly, is, So why did classes used to go on for 45, 50 minutes if we only have an eight-minute attention span? So what, one of the, the new ideas in blended learning, at least, is to take advantage of the 45 minutes and break it into eight-minute segments. Ah, okay. So while, while you can be studying math... Because I was and, thinking this show probably should be a little bit shorter. <laughs> uh, certainly the interview could be, but uh, that... Uh, that um, with me, obviously, that, uh, that um, the subject of math you can study for 45 minutes, you can study for an hour and a half. The key is not to be sitting there doing the same exact thing for the entire period of time. You need to move, you need to change, you need to uh, have a different approach to, to the learning. So, so the technology, that, just sorry, just to conclude, one of the other things that Khan did is he gave you a path. So if you're sitting in a math class for 45 minutes, you're not going to move any faster than the teacher, you're not going to move any slower than the teacher. This gave the ability for the students to move at their own pace, and it really innovated the concept of a flipped classroom. And what a flipped classroom is, is that you go home and you hear the lecture. So you'll watch the video or videos, then you come to school and you do the homework. And that concept blew my mind, because what winds up happening? You go home and you do Algebra 2. So the last time I tried to do Algebra 2 with my parents, and I can only imagine with tremendous fear what it will be like when my kids bring home Algebra 2 homework, I have no ability to help them with that, as opposed to the math teacher. So while, while the, the student can watch the video and be very well educated at home, you go to school and when you struggle and you're having a challenge with the problem, so then the math teacher has the ability to sit down and to coach you in terms of doing that. And I felt the very same thing could apply to Judaic studies. 
oftentimes what happens is you'll have in Limude Kodesh, in Judaic studies, you'll have the teacher, the, the Rav, the Rebbe, the Mora, whoever it would be, stand up and give a discourse on whatever the subject matter is, and then you would go home and you would wind up working through the content that they assigned. Unfortunately, for numerous different skills, whether it's language or whether it's how to, how to deconstruct, especially in, in Talmud, especially in Gemara, but it can exist in any of the Judaic studies subjects, those skills oftentimes are fairly challenging. You don't necessarily have the resources at home in order to go ahead and to reinforce how to learn or how to understand that better. So having the opportunity to flip the classroom, where many of us know that the most um, exciting learning that happens is interactive, one should do the interactivity in the classroom, and the passivity can be done then at home. And that's sort of the concept of flipping the classroom. Um, it should be noted, Michael, if I, if I can sort of point this out, many people say and say, you know, are you, what are you doing? You know, the concept of technology doesn't belong within Judaic studies. Uh, you know, there's a heritage, there's a history, and, and this is very dangerous. So the only thing I would point out, if you had an opportunity to look at uh, Carpe Diem, which is one of the blended learning schools, or if you looked at... Uh, uh, almost a, a rocket ship or any, any of the sort of the cutting-edge blended learning schools, it'll remind you of one thing. Every time you click and watch their first promo video or if you have the opportunity like I've had to go and visit, it'll remind you exactly like a Beit Midrash, like a base Medrash, like a uh, Jewish study hall. Um, it's not the formal classroom setting where you have one teacher, what the, the words they use are, a sage on the stage. So now they replace the sage on the stage with the guide on the side that it's far more interactive and robust, and, and the top learners and the bottom learners and, and most excitingly the middle learners all are moving, all are engaged, and all are really moving at their own pace. Amazing. We're talking to Aryeh Lightstone, the one of the founders of Aleph Beta as well as Mikorot, uh, still, I guess, trying to decide whether they're a technology or a content company, but we're helping them work it out. Uh, we're sponsored here by Adorama. Adorama Camera, Adorama.com, uh, and this is Tech Talk. So, Arye, give us, uh, I guess, your own personal transition as an entrepreneur, uh, as you know, someone who's looking to revolutionize, I think what you said, the world of Jewish learning. How has the reception been? Uh, the, reception, the, the reception has been great. The, the, the fundamental challenge that we've had immediately after we discuss whether we're a technology company or a content company is, and this, this might be unique to, to all the companies that you're going to have an opportunity to speak to, is that around many, many, many Jewish homes, the concept of, of tuition and the high cost is, is a, certainly a central topic around my house and many of the houses that I have the opportunity to interact with people. It, it's a significant issue. And the challenge is in developing the technology that can potentially either address the tuition component or as somebody who grew up in Denver like I did, to be able to have superior education. Oh, congratulations on a big win uh, yesterday. That was, it was uh, it was, pr- it was pretty exciting, right? Yeah, well, 51-48, that's, uh, that's almost like a basketball score, college basketball, that is. <laughs> um, it, it was a pretty exciting game. So as, as a Denver uh, kid, I grew up, there were 26 kids in my high school. It's very difficult to have differentiated education uh, and to afford numerous different teachers and numerous different specialties when you have maximum 28 sources of, of tuition revenue. So technology can be a great equalizer 
uh, in that regard. So people are interested in what we're doing, whether it's for the non-New York-centric schools or whether it's for tuition or quality within the New York-centric schools. People are very excited. The, the challenge that we ask ourselves is that to create content and certainly to create technology, there's an enormous upfront expense, an absolutely enormous upfront expense, and our total target demographic that we could be serving is small compared to the amount of students who are going to be learning seventh grade math. The people who are going to be learning, whether it's Talmud or Bible or Chumash or Navi, and the fact that I can say it in six different ways just indicates how many different variations there need to be even within the content that's created. So there's a large expense for the creation of content and a not large enough population to make it worth the expense in a purely for-profit fashion. And that's our second question. This is a need for the community. We believe that companies operate better in a for-profit mode than they do in a not-for-profit mode. But does an investment in a company like Mikoro make financial sense as a for-profit? And so we've sort of are, are skating in the world of social entrepreneurism at the moment. So you're trying to change the world at the same time you're trying to make a profit? Trying, yes, we are, we're, we're trying to, make, to, to build a viable company while addressing what we believe is the number one or number two issue facing the majority of affiliated Jewish homes in this country. So perhaps you should be giving the product away. Giving the product away. So we, we began such an idea in Alice Beta and wound up with a fair amount of market penetration, and McCorot has a design with their pilot schools and the foundations that we've worked with to be able to give the product to as well. The challenge is bring, bringing enough revenue in order to, uh, excuse me, not bringing up enough revenue, uh, bringing enough investment capital to develop enough of the product to afford to give it away. So I guess there's a discussion then uh, perhaps amongst the leadership of the company as to how you want to be constructed. Are you going after that foundational capital or is there uh, an interest in you know, making this a for-profit enterprise, raising investor dollars. Uh, how has that discussion come about? And, you know, how is that progressing? So the discussion is a robust conversation. As the pilot uh, for McCorroad is going to be launched November 1, uh, we began our initial conversations with foundations who are interested both in enhancing their bottom line as well as believe in our core mission as we think that they're in our sweet spot of potential partners. And as we are developing our board, uh, this is really conversation number one or one B that uh, that we're having, and we aim to have a conclusion by January. Amazing. So you are now going around the country talking to different schools and trying to get them interested in this this approach. And what what's in it for the schools aside from being able to offer a wider course load or more institutional, uh, more individualized attention? Is there is there some kind of package that comes along as far as adapting or training professional development that comes along that you're bringing with them? Yeah, we're bringing top-notch professional development. I would say uh, 40% of our team have worked on innovative content and technology in the secular world, and they bring with them, or we bring with us, um, advanced professional development that hasn't yet been seen in the Judaic studies world. And McCorroat is, is really offering a, a one-stop package. We're also bringing with us 
to the schools, which is a tremendous advantage, especially with the schools with the budget challenges and staffing challenges and professional development challenges. We're bringing not only the Judaic studies offerings that we're bringing, but we've also are in the process of partnering with a couple of secular studies providers also where we become the one-stop shop for technology for Jewish schools, not merely technology in Jewish subjects, but technology, education technology for Jewish schools. I guess as you go around and you speak to different, obviously you mentioned that the larger schools versus the smaller schools, they're all in different situations, uh, and adapting to every school's need is something that's probably highly customizable. Uh, I, to to a certain extent, you have to adapt your the company or I guess the offering to more as a, a, pers- a customized service as opposed to a straight technology offering. So maybe that's what you're saying as far as being a content company with a technology component. You are 100% correct. If, if the average size of our schools don't reach a blip on the radar of any of these significant education technology companies that are out there, because frankly it's not worth it, uh, if you will, uh, to, for them to spend their time training, learning, and customizing for schools that don't fall in their normal purview. They sell to, if not countries, to school districts. Uh, with tens of thousands of students, and the average day school size is three or 400 students. So we bring the ability to package all of these things together, the content, the technology, and the ability to use the content with the technology in a seamless way. I'll, I'll, I'll say it like this, because I think this has really been a pretty exciting uh, innovation that we have discovered in the If you go to an Apple store in Dallas or New York City or in Denver, or wherever the location would be, you have a very similar experience. You've got, they, they wear similar clothes, the stores are set up pretty much the same, the product looks the same, and you interact with it pretty much in the same way, and that gives you a pretty good sense of confidence. When you walk out of that store, you're getting an Apple product, like it or not, that, that's what you're getting, and you're getting the Apple experience. Uh, education is so far behind the curve in terms of being able to do that with its both as a baseline in terms of quality. We shouldn't be shooting for mediocrity. I don't think anybody's shooting for mediocrity, but sometimes we arrive there. We have the ability with technology and the content that can be ported through that technology to make our baseline much, much higher. And one of the things that we're looking to do to customize for the Jewish day school experience is to enable that same robust feeling that you would have on Khan Academy or Alex, which is another phenomenal math uh, program, um, to be able to have the same thing if you're learning, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chumash or Gemara or Jewish history or, or, or Hebrew language or any of those things. So you wind up with the same feeling, and we feel that that's something unique that we're bringing to the table. There's just so much out there, I guess, in this whole field of educational technology. And we're talking with Arye Lightstone of Aleph Beta as well as Mick Harot, which is a forefront of bringing uh, blended learning and online learning to the Jewish market. Uh, two questions come to mind right now. So just one as relates to Israel. You mentioned that the company is partially uh, based in Gush Etzion. Right. Talk a little bit about that and why you're why you're based over there. And, you know, is, uh, is that where you're creating content? Is that where the where the studio is? Or? That, that's where I would say 70% of our content is being created. There's a tremendous advantage there that the amount of Judaic studies knowledge that exists within people 
who are otherwise would be involved in education but happen to be in Israel where there might be a surplus of people who also do English and Judaic studies who are doing uh, accounting or, or law or whatever else it is that they're doing, who this speaks to them in a very significant way. And it happens to be from a demographic perspective, m- many of those people are situated in the Gosh Etzion area. We also have in Mekorot an affiliation with the Yeshiva Yeshiva Haratzion, otherwise affectionately known as Gush, and, uh, and our uh, uh, VP of Education uh, just made Aliyah, just moved to Israel in order to run the Israeli division, uh, Rabbi Rafi Ice, And he lives, I believe, in Afrat. So, of course, that yeshiva was really at the forefront at the beginning of putting uh, Shiurim online, uh, the virtual yeshiva. I think that was certainly at, at the very beginning, uh, quite a few years ago, was putting uh, uh, copious amounts of content uh, online, not necessarily from a, a video interactive, but uh, right. just putting a straight Shiurim out there. So right. are you are – you, are you out there trying to collect content from different yeshivas and, and uh, put it on videos and putting, putting that out there as well? Is that in the plans? What's in the cards here? And what is, as far as trying to uh, create content for your, uh, for your uh, I guess, platform, is it a white-label type of solution or, it's, uh, or you're going to keep everything in-house as far as, a, you know, I guess, a K-12 through approach? So uh, excellent question. The first approach that we have is to build a the scope and sequence of a full curriculum. And by doing so, we want to be able to leave as much flexibility as possible for the individual schools, movements, and or teachers to be able to add, subtract, edit, and adjust for their specific students. So we're looking to, to paint as broad of a picture as possible but by painting that picture, we're planning on adding resources and materials and access that would not be able to be created for an individual school, classroom, or uh, even movement, perhaps, in terms of assessments. One of the best advantages that will exist with education technology is that there can be some level of significant accountability in Judaic studies. So if I finish seventh grade uh, in Detroit, in a school in Detroit, and, and my family's moved and I wind up in eighth grade in Miami, uh, there will be a personality profile, an educational profile for that student with a baseline of what he or she knows and what he or she doesn't know and where their skills are strong and where their skills need improvement. And uh, in that way, we plan on giving the schools tremendous freedom to be able to adjust and adapt so it works for their individual students, but still within the scope of a broader spectrum of saying this is Judaic studies, uh, and therefore the parents and the teachers in the schools have the ability to adapt and adjust within that uh, spectrum. Well, certainly a amazing and expansive uh, view of the larger ed tech market. Uh, there's there's just so much out there, and I think that what we're going to have to do is continue the conversation uh, in a coming show as this uh, as this progresses. I appreciate my takeaway here is the eight-minute attention span because I'm very familiar with that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, as well as the other people here in the studio, they're nodding their head. It's eight minutes. Uh, so uh, if if we, that could have been part of my experience growing up, who knows? Who knows what could have been? But uh, I, I appreciate you coming on, Arye, and uh, helping us uh, understand, I guess, a little taste of the world of educational technology, particularly as it relates to 
uh, the yeshiva community and uh, the Jewish community, and so hopefully uh, something that can be uh, that can be expanded over time. Very much hope so. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and, and certainly I look forward to the opportunity to uh, to sharing our progress and upgrade uh, and, and progress with you at Makoro Learning. Okay, fantastic. Arya Lightstone uh, from is it just Makoro? Is Aleph Beta now Makoro? I'm trying to. No. No, Aleph Beta was uh, was a uh, organization that I had started and uh, had worked with a couple of uh, of people, and and the direction there or the the take was to go to adult education, which I was excited about but not passionate about. And there there are numerous different phenomenal resources for adult education out there, unless it's going to change the topic that speaks near and dear to my heart, which is both the affordability and the quality of the school learning. It wasn't something I was ready to roll up my sleeves and leave my other professions in order to do. Makoro really challenges us in that direction, and it's our sole mission is to focus on Jewish day school, learning the experience, the quality, and the affordability. Well, thank you very much, Arya Lightstone uh, from Mikorot's educational technology pioneer in the in the Jewish sector, and uh, we appreciate you coming on Tech Talk, and we'll have you again soon. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. This is uh, Tech Talk, and we are sponsored by Adorama Camera, Adorama.com, more than, more than just a camera store. And uh, I urge you all to visit the Adorama website. There are uh, The prices are absolutely fantastic. And uh, our second half here, we're going to turn, although we had a slight Israel discussion, we're going to turn a little more to Israel and the international flavor. We have Jeffrey Shapiro, a uh, partner at Everest Search Partners, and who... Uh, Grew up uh, here in the New York area, the greater tri-state area. Happens to find himself uh, here in New York uh, today and is joining us here on Tech Talk. Jeffrey, thanks for joining us. How are you? Fantastic. So, uh, welcome. Are we, do we have Noam on as well, or your partner, or just Jeff? Noam, uh, we've got him nearby, although we don't have him on the line. Okay. Well, we can start with you. And, you know, if, if you can't answer a question, we'll grab Noam as well. His per- partner, Noam Eisenberg, also uh, at Devra Search Partners. But, uh, Jeffrey, uh, just to give you a quick idea of his bio, uh, he is uh, – Everest is a leading global boutique executive recruiting firm uh, focused on recruiting of C-level and VP executives across the technology and life sciences spectrum. They specialize in recruiting board directors, CEOs, CFOs, and the like in the U.S., U.K., Israel, Germany, Switzerland, the Netherlands, India, Egypt, and Turkey. So frequent flyer miles are no stranger for you. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know the, the world has gotten exceptionally small these days. If it's, uh, if it's not in person, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're all of a Skype or a FaceTime away from meeting somebody. Well, there, are still that, there is still that jet lag factor, although maybe you've conquered it. You know what? I, I can't say that I've come up with a solution just yet, but I, you kind of just power through it. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, that's something will be at the forefront of Israeli technology in the uh, in, in the near future. Uh, there's a lot of biotech research going on, so uh, maybe maybe it's in the genetic side. But uh, if not, if not, Michael, there, like, there will likely be an app for it. And one time soon, I'm going to write that one down. Actually, <laughs> okay. app for jet lag. I like that. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Jeff. Let's just talk for a second about uh, your background, how you came to be in Israel and doing executive search in Israel. Uh, you were uh, your background is you know having been at some major firms in the U.S. doing executive search, and you found yourself at kind of riding the technology wave here uh, in Israel, but also traveling around the world. Yeah, I um, so it basically started like this. I was working. I was at YU at the time. You know, if I go all the way back, and this is in the mid-90s, but I was working for 
a good friend of our family who did this for a living. Um, you know, she liked my ability to get on the phone and just talk to people I didn't know. And over the course of several summers and, and then really piloting that into more of a full-time job, I found myself working for some of the bigger firms based in New York City. Uh, you know, this is uh, – the industry at the time was uh, was still – Kind of a, I would define it as more of a back office function. It was, it was really not something which was, uh, I think, touted as, you know, this is your career. I think a lot of headhunters at the time had gone off and done things. They were, they were bankers, they were business people, and then, you know, at some point they, you know, basically made the decision to, uh, you know, use their networks to, to, you know, put become connectors, master connectors, and 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 really advise companies on how to recruit senior level executives. I joined actually relatively young and, and really right out of school and. You know, kind of wrote it from the bottom. But as the as the internet boom began in the late '90s, um, I joined up with a boutique uh, at the time, a company called Christian and Timbers, uh, that had really built itself up uh, as a company that had really made a name for itself. You know, building management teams for early stage companies. Um, my wife and I, for for the longest of times, from from you know from early ages, you know, had really wanted to move to Israel, and in 2005. Uh, that opportunity presented itself. I was still working for uh, CT at that point and, and told them I wanted to make the move. And, uh, you know, after after some discussion, they said, great, let's do it. Uh, and so uh, in 2005, made that move. And, uh, you know, over the course of so many years, you know, stuck with them and helped them build out their presence in the region. And that's where the Egyptian work came from and the Turkish work came from. Uh, but as the markets, you know, began to decline in the U.S. at the late, you know, kind of 2008, early 2009 timeframe, uh, I took my leave and, and joined up with my longtime friend and now partner, Noam Eisenberg, and that's where Everest was born. Amazing. So talk us about the recruiting world in Israel. You recruit for Israeli companies in Israel. You recruit, uh, I imagine, for companies uh, throughout the Middle East and Europe, uh, or I guess not necessarily throughout the Middle East, but Turkey and the, uh, and the like, all the technology hotbeds. So you are out there bringing Israeli talent, local talent. Uh, you're also in the U.S., I guess, bringing talent to matching talent with, with the companies that you work with. So, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, Michael, the way it works is like this. So recruiting is a, um, a, you know, it's a relatively diverse industry. There's two kinds of recruiting um, as, as we see it. One, one side of it, um, which really covers – uh, kind of the lower end to the middle end is, is a segment called contingency, which is really, you know, about companies having recruiters get out there and, and find talent. And if they happen to make a placement, um, you know, they'll, they'll be happy to, to provide a fee. And then there's a different, you know, style of recruiting, which is more in line with what we do, which is, uh, you know, kind of a, more of a high-end consulting, a little bit more retainer-based, which is about recruiting management teams. And so when you think about the high-tech industry in Israel, um, you know, which for the last 20 and 30 years, you know, has obviously seen explosive growth, um, high investment in the, the venture capital investment in Israel is, is really trumped only by that of maybe Silicon Valley and maybe, uh, the, you know, the, the eastern, you know, the northeastern seaboard of the United States. Um, you know, we see companies, hundreds of companies growing, you know, being built and, and being started every year and, and growing as they do that, as they expand um, largely outside of Israel's borders, and they start opening up sales offices in the U.S. and Europe. Um, they find their way to Asia. Um, having an agent, having somebody who you know knows that local market, certainly knows the talent, has connections. Um, that's where we tend to add value. And so we, um, you know, as as a as an Israeli-based firm, and we have an office in Herzliya, right right in the heart of what is effectively uh, Israel Silicon Valley or the Silicon Wadi, as they like to call it. Um, you know, we meet with companies there all the time. We meet with their CEOs. We meet with their investors. And, and we go out there and we recruit. We recruit their, 
presidents of North America. We recruit their head of European sales. We recruit all types of people, usually at the you know at the more senior end of the company, com- you know, folks that are strategic to that company's growth. Um, and we fly around and we recruit them. You know, we, we spend a lot of time talking to folks over the phone, but we, we fly around the world meeting candidates and, and then obviously then meeting new companies. We actually, by the way, don't only work with companies that are necessarily uh, based in Israel. But uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, what the vast majority of our business looks like are companies that have a relationship to Israel. Either the found, there's a founder who's Israeli, there's a, you know, there's a, there's an investor who has a connection, but, you know, we work with companies that um, have no presence in Israel altogether, but, but they have some connection in some way, shape, or form. So that is 90-plus percent of our work. And we, by the way, we have clients that have no connection to Israel altogether, but just good connections of ours. Um, and so to that end, what we're really trying to do is, is, like a lot of other people, help build large, sustainable, really great companies that, that really have kind of some, some staying power. So you look at your firm as kind of a an ongoing hand-holding relationship with uh, startup companies as opposed to – it's not really transactional uh, in a pure – uh, just one one-off sense, but it's a it's an ongoing relationship. You're there to help them build their build their company, build their talent, build their base. Would that be correct? Right. Yeah, exactly. So in other words, you know, and, so, and we actually have worked with companies, you know, really from the very earliest of stages. You're talking about a handful of people, and we've worked with companies that are. Do you mind naming names? Give it. Give us some names. I, I I'm curious. I want to know the or is it confi- confidential, national security yeah, yeah. type of thing. <laughs> No, no, we're happy, you know, we're happy to share. You know, over the course of so many years, you know, we've worked with a diverse set of clients. So, for instance, there's a, a fairly sizable software company out of Israel called Night Systems, you know, multi-hundred million dollar software company that has presence all over the world. And we've helped a variety of their divisions. On the flip side, we've worked with venture capital firms, you know, Pitango Venture Capital, which is the largest Israeli-based fund that recently just put up another $270 million fund. So we, you know, as, as a as a uh, as a great fund that is constantly starting new companies, you know, they've called on us in the past for a variety of their portfolio companies uh, to help them recruit senior management teams around the world. Amazing. So I guess that's the uh, an overarching relationship, to have that relationship with the VC, and they kind of use you for all their portfolio companies. In, in an so, ideal scenario, you know, what we'd love to be able to do is be an advisor, right? We want, we want, if it's a venture capital firm, we want them to call us, you know, even before they've made a decision to make a management change. We want them to call us when they're looking to fund a company. Um, you know, just given relationships that we have in the marketplace with so many entrepreneurs, you know, we would love to have a chance to, you know, give them some intel, some market intel, um, you know, this particular company in that segment versus that particular company. Or, hey, we're going to make this investment and, um, you know, we know we're going to need to recruit a new CEO or a new CFO and we need you to begin thinking about that and begin looking at your network. So we have uh, we have a few relationships that are like that and we've had some fairly sizable companies, you know, companies whose revenues are greater than a billion dollars. And we've spent years working with those companies, recruiting management teams around the world. Uh, and so that's in, ultimately that's, that's really where, as a recruiter, that's really what you want to have. You want to have a relationship uh, that is built on trust, that's built on kind of a almost a consultative kind of advisor type approach. And at the same time, you know, we, we need to close searches. We need to put warm bodies into, uh, you know, really strong warm bodies into great jobs. Strong, warm bodies into great jobs. So very, very poetic. Uh, this is Tech Talk. Uh, we're talking with, with Jeff Shapiro of Everest Search Partners uh, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, sponsored by Adorama Camera, adorama.com. Uh, give us a – you've been in Israel since 2005, as you mentioned. So there's been an evolution of the of the scene, of the business climate. Uh, you've had some ups and downs, certainly with regard to the uh, political – 
situations uh, over time. So there are always uh, uh, peaks and valleys with regard to your business. Uh, but give us a give us a kind of rundown since 2005 how things have changed or evolved. Uh, for, you know, it, for it, you. It, it, in as much as I've been in Israel since 2005, Michael, I would take you back to 2000. Um, Please take me back. And, take me back to the 90s. That's fine. Uh, you know, when I remember I, it was a great decade. When I when I started with Christian and Timbers in 1999, um, at the time, uh, CT was doing tons of business with pretty much anybody who was a venture capital firm in Israel that was building, you know, beginning to build, you know, what was that first generation of really, really great companies. Um, so CT had great relationships there. And so we were doing business with Israeli-founded startups uh, at the time, uh, and things were fantastic. And as my partner Noam would tell you, uh, you know, at the time that he moved to Israel, um, you know, it was it, it couldn't have been better. And then I don't think anybody at the time was going to foresee uh, how bad things were really going to get. As he would tell you, by the way, shortly after his move, um, it became a desert. Uh, and as bad as things might have gotten in the U.S. in Silicon Valley and in, in, in whatever the tech scene looked like in the United States, um, it, it was like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour in Israel. Um, and so while I started visiting Israel, um, on, you know, for personal reasons and for some business reasons from the beginning of, let's say, mid, mid, beginning to mid-2000 through my move in 2005, uh, there was virtually nothing going on. It was, it was effectively a retrenching. Um, and so when I moved in 2005, things had already begun to pick up again. Certainly things in the rest of the world had gotten far better. And so when I moved in 2005, the practice that I had left in the United States um, was strong and it was healthy. And while we were being asked to consider to do work with Israeli-based companies uh, at that point at CT, um, we were very busy in all parts of the world. Um, and as time has worn on, though, interestingly enough, since 2005 and as the, as the downturn began in 2008, 2009, um, Israel, uh, you know, had a, you know, in its retrenching from 2000 going forward, actually um, built an exceptionally strong foundation. Um, and took all kinds of precautions and was exceptionally conservative in how they built their companies. I think you'd see venture capitalists, you know, who advised their companies to watch their spending, raise more money, you know, and, and really had some good forethought, you know, foresight, I should say, into, uh, you know, into, into how, how best to prepare for whenever those bad times were coming. Um, and again, all with an eye towards how do we build, you know, really great, strong, large companies. Uh, so in the time since then, I have to tell you, as, as things have gotten not necessarily so great in all other parts of the world, Israel has continued to invest in their companies, raise more money. Um, you know, we have seen, you know, I would say a steady stream of growth in our own business uh, year over year. Uh, and so to the extent that, uh, you know, things may in fact have seemed bad in all parts of the world, I think in Israel people will tell you, and if you've gone to conferences there and if you've talked to investors, you've talked to small companies, you know, the, the, there has always been – you know, kind of a lot of optimism. When you look at the companies, by the way, that have been started in the last five years alone, you look at companies um, like Outbrain. You look at companies like Conduit. You look at companies, uh, you know, everybody talks about Waze, and I, I, as much as I wanted to avoid it, because I think everybody talks about it, you can't avoid it. Um, you know, these companies... It's okay, put you in a good company with all the smart people who talk about it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm only mentioning it as an afterthought. But the truth is, when you look at all these companies, they were all started in the last three or four years. Uh, and it begs the question as to how do you build billion-dollar companies at a time when everybody's struggling to make payroll? And so I think it's a testament to uh, the style of entrepreneurialism in Israel. I think it's a testament to um, the, the, the types of leaders. And, and, and again, to the extent that, that our business, our search partners and recruitment in general, is predicated on the idea that you know you build great companies on the backs of great people. Right. Entrepreneurs, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. It's not 
about the people who started and the people who built it. And given the fact that you are so much a part of that expansion with regard to the people, with regard to the human capital, your your business is about continuing to build those companies just as much, I guess, as the money going into it. Hey, listen, we, this is what we've been told certainly by, you know, when we take on new search work, and every search we take on, we, you know, we always ask the client, so, so give us a sense, you know, priority-wise, where does this thing rank in, in terms of what you're doing right now? Oh, it's the, it's the absolute most important thing we're doing. And, and I, you know, there's no reason not to believe them. This is, this is, you know, when we're, certainly when we're doing C-level work, you know, when you're looking for that first VP or EVP of worldwide sales, you know, companies don't grow without these things. Um, it, they just don't. And well, what, so, you what, know, we take that very seriously. One thing I've always wondered, I guess, about, and I guess this is, relates to every company's culture, but particularly with regard to a startup, you could have a startup with less than a dozen people, and or and the probably the founding group is a very very tight knit group. They may have worked together on previous startups. Obviously, I'm just bringing hypotheticals, but you're bringing somebody from the outside in who is not part of that founding team, and they might not. How, how do they, How does that? How does that mesh? How do you know that that person is good, that everybody's going to get along and play together nicely? So that's it's, it's an interesting question because that, in fact, is the reason, right, that we have a business. Um, you know, because as much as and Israelis can of, be a little bit prickly, right? I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I, I haven't met any that have, but that's the <laughs> reputation. And to the extent that um, you know, their reputations in, in in our world perception is reality, right? And so, um, over so many years of building tech companies, big and small, you know, good and bad, you know, successes and failures, um, Israeli companies have reputations. Um, and so to the extent that Noam and I, you know, we are recruiters amongst lots of recruiters around the world, right? There's there's no barrier to entry to being a recruiter. But what what's interesting about our business is in what we tell clients and what, what really what we believe firmly is that to recruit not just a great executive for an Israeli company, but the right great executive is, a, is, is an art. Um, because there are lots of people whose resumes really do speak to their ability to be successful at a given job, right? Our, our searches always begin with a position profile that says, here are the four or five things that this successful candidate must have. And that's not necessarily just about, you know, uh, you know, blind criteria on a resume. But when you sit down with somebody and you, you understand their thinking, you understand their personality, you understand what makes them tick, um, that is what goes into a final decision as to whether or not we're going to recommend that candidate to said Israeli company, because at the end of the day, we guarantee our placements, right? We, if a candidate does not spend a specific amount of time with one of our clients, uh, you know, we'll redo that search for free. Um, and so our, our focus is entirely amongst everything else is in terms of bridging, you know, what is effectively a bit of a cultural divide, um, you know, between Israelis and, and other, you know, other cultures around the world. What, what's exciting these days? Give us give us an idea about what you see. You mentioned we mentioned a couple of companies before Outbrain. Uh, I, I don't want to say ways again, but I'll say it. But uh, yeah, the, you know, there's look globally. There's there's probably a handful of, of buzzwords that you'll hear. Big data is probably the biggest of them all, um, right? This idea that that companies from you know Twitter to uh, Facebook to whomever. Um, those companies make money on the collection of vast amounts of personal data. And so there are hundreds, if not thousands, of software companies out there that uh, are focused on how do we slice and dice that data and, and sell it, you know, for the purposes of ad revenue or otherwise. So big data is a big, it, it happens to be a big segment. Um, it goes without saying that anything that's security related, if it's cybersecurity or otherwise, um, you, you will find tens of, of really, really strong companies built out of Israel um, software as a service, uh, which is a, a burgeoning segment 
um, around the world is, is continuing to grow uh, inside of Israel as well. And then now you've got apps. You know, you've got you've got a lot of companies focused in mobile. Uh, and so, you know, these are, this is what we see in general. Israel has always been known, though, by the way, as having really strong medical, you know, life sciences industry, medical device and pharmaceuticals. Oh, you almost forget uh, about that. The some of the giants of uh, of the life sciences world are in Israel. Yeah, if you focus, if you, if, you know, if you look at agriculture, agritech, telecom. Exactly. You know, clean tech. You know, I, I flew in the other day with uh, with Glenn Schwaber. You know, Glenn is uh, is you know one of the leading clean tech venture capitalists. Uh, in Israel today, and he's funding all kinds of companies that range from solar to water technology to wind technology. Um, it, you know, I would say the hallmark at the end of the day, Michael, is about disruption, which, look, any good technology startup is about disruption, and so it goes without saying. But, but you know, one thing I think Israelis, you know, Israeli tech entrepreneurs um, seem to have a knack for uh, is, is just finding, you know, amongst other things, just that one little thing that's going to just totally turn um, one particular segment or, or a whole industry on its head. Uh, as would be, you know, a, a good example would be Waze, right? You know, because to be another navigation app, you know, wasn't going to be, was not going to be the Kunz. But what's interesting is, you know, Waze in essence is a big data company, right? Because that's what it's about. It's, it's about the collection of lots and lots of data about where you are and where you're going and, and what you do and, and, you know, what can you do with all that data? A little scary, actually. Uh, well, big data is certainly for a lot of people, it's a scary subject, uh, particularly here in the U.S., given, you know, the NSA and, and the sure. like. But, uh, it doesn't scare me as much as it scares some other people uh, probably very close by here on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, this is Tech Talk. Uh, <laughs> getting the evil eye here from ZK, so I just have to mention that. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't like when I bring politics into the show, That's uh, but that's okay. That's okay. We're going to do that anyway because it's my show, and I appreciate, uh, you know, I appreciate politics a little bit. But uh, this is uh, Tech Talk, and we're sponsored by Adorama Camera. We're talking, have a couple more moments here with Jeffrey Shapiro of uh, Everest Search Partners, uh, getting the lowdown and the rundown and the expansive view of the Israeli tech scene, uh, as well as the executive search uh, business around the world. Uh, how much time are you spending abroad these days? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I, I would say um, on average... I'll probably spend anywhere from a week to 10 days a month on the road. Um, and that could be to the U.S., it could be to Europe. In essence, anytime, you know, we've got enough candidate and client meetings that warrant an actual just getting on an airplane, that's what we do. We, we utilize, though, you know, video conferencing technologies, um, you know, certainly as much, if not more, than anyone else does. It's, I think the, the headhunting industry in general has, has helped make companies like Skype and, and, and FaceTime apps and the like uh, exceptionally more, you know, more, uh, more readily, uh, used and, and, you know, get people working on them. So we, we use those a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, in fact, we have a, an Israeli founded client that has actually not, not based in Israel, a company called Video, V-I-D-Y-O, which is actually based in Hackensack, New Jersey, uh, that has, uh, you know, built for themselves. It's a, it's a business oriented, you know, kind of Skype on steroids, the best way I can describe it. But basically they, they give people the opportunity to have exceptionally Strong, high-definition video conferencing. So we utilize that a lot. So, uh, so I mean, but that being said, as, as, as clients ask my partner and I a lot, so where are you guys based? You know, generally speaking, on an airplane. <laughs> well, I guess your families must appreciate that uh, tremendously. But uh, the Hackensack is certainly known as uh, one of those hotbeds of the. Uh, what, what you know? What, what do we call that? The Silicon what? I don't know. It's like you know, if it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, what, do you, what, do, what could you possibly like a Bergen County? I don't know. It's just, it's just, I don't know. There's so many things come to mind, but I, I have you know quite a few friends there, so I don't want to insult anybody. 
So, uh, well, I, that, you know, certainly these, you know, these types of companies are, are just incredible. Now, what's the idea with video? It's an Israeli company that's based in Hackensack, meaning that they're not doing, they're still doing their operations in Israel. They're not doing their operations in Israel. Sure, uh, no, there are indeed. Video is an interesting, an interesting example of a company uh, that has no R and D in Israel whatsoever. Uh, the company. So why would you call it an Israeli company? It, and, and that's a good example. They were founded uh, by an Israeli, uh, somebody who actually was working for an Israeli company based in the United States, a company called Rad Vision, uh, which is part of uh, what's known as the Rad Group of Companies, which is a, a whole collection of all kinds of tech companies. But but. Uh, the, uh, the CEO of that company, Over Shapiro, who was already based here, uh, had, a, had a new and interesting idea and basically made a decision, you know, we're going to do this. Built his entire company here. Uh, lots of Israelis worked for that company, um, although, you know, his management team is easily 50-50, and, and you know, we've helped uh, augment that with others uh, in terms of, of Israelis versus non-Israeli uh, executives. Uh, but they actually have no R&D based in Israel. So it's an, it's an interesting anomaly in, in the model. Uh, of Israeli tech companies that get founded in Israel, but then eventually move uh, or open a sales office in the United States, and so we're we're happy to see more Israeli entrepreneurs who can be successful like that. And Video has raised lots of money, and they're they've done been done very very well, and and, and have, so far has been very very successful, and then we expect that to continue. Definitely, I guess a a, a new iteration of uh, expansion of Israeli tech, I guess from your you know the way you're terming it uh, now, mm-hmm. you know. The I guess the pollination of, of Israeli entrepreneurs now starting abroad, but calling them Israeli companies from a certain perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, that that's just uh, you know another another feather in the cap, I guess, of the of the scene. And I guess as as it's evolving internationally, that you have uh, all this innovation going on from you know as we've said from such a small country that is you know, really exporting its knowledge base around the world uh, in, so, mm-hmm. in so many ways. So uh, how does it feel to be at the forefront to riding, riding that wave from, from your perspective as, a, I guess, an American Jew now living in Israel? And, you know, where does that, you know, just to take the business hat off for a second, but your emotional hat for, you know. You know, if you'd ask me, Michael, how many, you know, however many years ago when, when I began thinking about moving to Israel, what would I do there? How would I make a living? How, you know, what would my contribution be? Um I don't know if I could have foreseen this. I think, you know, it's the, the idea that the fact of the matter is, is that there are lots of people in Israel who are building companies. I think Noam and I are proud that we're in the process of building a company and we're creating jobs and we're hiring people and we're, we're opening up offices and spending money on rent and doing all those things that go into building a real business. Um, so it's exciting. It's very exciting to be part of it. You walk the streets uh, of Herzliya, you walk the streets of Tel Aviv, you walk the streets of uh, or whatever it is, wherever you're going, you meet these companies um, everybody's very excited about it. They're very patriotic about the fact that, you know, we are building great companies that have, you know, kind of a national identity. And, you know, you can go to Silicon Valley, though, and you can go to Palo Alto, and you can meet similar people. And, and the fact of the matter is Israelis have done an unbelievable job of, of integrating well around the world as they build these great companies. So it's, it's incredibly, uh, it's, it's, it's both empowering and humbling at the same time to be a part of this. Well, really amazing. And, Jeff, I want to... Thank you for coming on. This is a great and expansive conversation, and you know, we're going to you know, continue the dialogue in future shows. I hope that you'll be a guest uh, once again because I think your perspective is something that's uh, you know, really at the heart of what's going on in Israel with Israeli companies, even companies that are not Israeli, but you're, uh, but you're working for them, and they all have that, uh, I guess, kernel of uh, uh, 
Genesis uh, in Israel. So really, thank you. I, I really appreciate you coming on uh, this morning. It was a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Okay, Jeff Shapiro, Everest Search Partners, and uh, winding up another episode of Tech Talk here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And uh, I would be remiss to say we actually had a guest from Israel who was in Israel uh, cancel on us this morning uh, due to attend the funeral of uh, Chacham Ovadia Yosef, and I should uh, mention his passing uh, here uh, on the show, just you know, not technology-oriented and just as a uh, personal, it was a... a once-in-a-generation uh, type of personality who uh, had the distinction of really leading the uh, Sephardic community throughout the world uh, for, for so many decades and uh, really brought a really brought an incredible amount of leadership to the Sephardic community, uh, which had uh, experienced uh, certain levels of, of uh, discrimination in Israel, but uh, has now really come to the forefront of of uh, Israeli society in so many ways, and really, uh, I think the uh, uh, Ovad Yosef, uh, whether or not you're a Shah supporter and having nothing to do with politics, uh, really is a was at the forefront of of so many of of so much of the Israeli community. And uh, may his memory be a blessing for all of us. And I think the funeral is actually starting uh, momentarily. So uh, just a programming note on a personal level there. Uh, so uh, you've been listening to Tech Talk and brought to you by Adorama Camera and Adorama.com here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, this is Michael Fragan. I want to thank you for listening. And our Monday music mix starts right after this program. And tomorrow morning, make sure to tune in for the OU's Jewish Reaction at 9 a.m. hosted by Ellie Hagler, followed by By the Book. That's two buys right in a row. Followed by By the Book, brought to you by Cohen Publishers and hosted by our very own Nachum Siegel. Scheduled to join Nachum tomorrow is Rabbi Benny Lau, so don't miss that. And check out all of our Season 2 programming on our website. Click on the schedule. That's all you got to do. Very simple. Click out all we have in store to get you through the day and then through the week. I'm Michael Fragan. Till next week, this is Tech Talk. And uh, we did start a Twitter account, although not really populating it up that much because uh, it's very engaged in the conversation. It's at Tech Talk NSN. At and that, once again, at Tech Talk NSN. And here on the Nachum Siegel Network, thank you for joining us.